shit in real life probably led into Dice's shitty act that finally showed. Like he, that he was, was probably able- his more leaning into how he really was. And if people didn't respond to it well, he could say, "Oh, it was just a character." Mm-hmm. Maybe but that's true. And then it, it rang home, and he was like, "Oh, thank God, I can act like this all the time now." Well, you listen to like Rodney Dangerfield's. I like, get no respect, no respect at all. Mm-hmm. It, I'm sure those were like real life experiences that had happened to oh, him yeah. that bled into his act, but they were funny and they were nice. And I, I wonder if he had like any secrets because you would think it would have come out by now. I just because he's dead doesn't mean somebody wouldn't come out and be like, "Hey, he, he's yeah, dirty." It was just so much easier to hide everything back then. Just because there was no one with a camera on you at all times. I wonder about, like, John Belushi, too. Like, had he not died so young? Like, would we still... Would him and his brother be hanging out, uh, growing weed together? Like, there's been a few times that Jim Belushi's come out and said, Hey, I do believe that the pot that I grow now would have saved my brother's life had it been there for him instead of cocaine. Which... It's probably a good thought, but I don't think that really compares. Like, marijuana is not going to stop me from doing cocaine. That's <laughs> that's a completely different deal. That's going to come either before or after. You you're reaching, John. Yeah. Or Jim. So I needed to write down a lot more context with these high thoughts because there's a lot of them that don't make sense anymore. Just start naming them, and I'll see if I can help you get there. Okay. That'll be a fun game in itself. True. Because um, you write you write these down when you're stoned, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's... Okay, this is going to be like a, like a fucking stoner puzzle. So, first one that I wrote down is a corn maze in Mexico called a maze maze. Well... Okay, maze... <laughs> no, 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 I already have this. Was it... Was it Mexicans that called it maze? I thought it was maze to the Native Americans. I think it's in both. Okay, so it would probably be a maze, but they have a different word for the second one. Their word for maze oh, okay. would be something different. Yeah, whatever the Spanish word is for maze. If like, yeah. yeah. It's an easy one to figure out. Um, this one says... We're off to a hot start. That was yeah. good. I like that. This one says, how is Teen Mom okay? I think I probably saw a commercial for it or something like that. Oh, how is making the show Teen Mom? How is that like allowed? Yeah, like, how is that allowed why, to happen? Why are we doing that? Do you think that that led to like the glamorization of like teenagers getting pregnant? Once I they don't. Did? If if you're you got like you're weighing the scales, and you're like, okay, so we can make this show, and we're either gonna make this show as a message to dissuade people from doing this, or we're going to make a show that's going to glamorize this and make it make people more like likely to do it or don't care as much because they think they're going to get famous doing it. But I think what they did was they found that maybe they thought within the first couple episodes they'd see how they framed it and people just responded better to them glamorizing it. Because how many people like are still somewhat you see pop up every now and then and it's like former Teen Mom star, like, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah, I, there is, but I think, like, it's still on MTV. Like, there's still shows from the first original couple that, like, they do reunions now and all that kind of what stuff. Would you, I don't even know. I'm trying to think of the last time I legitimately watched MTV. Ridiculousness still tickles me. Ridiculousness is Isn't like, that what MTV is now? So I've heard someone much. say that it's it's just ridiculousness, Teen Mom, 
Um, are they still doing real world or road rules? They're doing no. the challenge. Yeah, but, but it's is still that even on people. a different? It's, and that's even on a different network now, isn't it? Like on Paramount? Probably on VH1. They probably progressed age wise to being on VH1. Mm-hmm. It, I just I don't understand how that works. It's like it's the same thing in my viewpoint. I mean, I don't know if it's this. yeah. I guess it is. This is going to sound bad when I say it, and I'm just going to preface it that way. But it almost is one of those things where when they do show Teen Mom, it's kind of like that show, like Love on the Spectrum. To me, it's um, I was going to compare it to uh, the what is like my 500 pound life, my 400 pound life. Yeah, I, I can kind of see that, but like Love on the Spectrum to me, when I see it, it's great. I'm super happy that people that are on the spectrum can mm-hmm. be find love and all that kind of stuff but there's so many that's like maybe a half a percent of the people that do have autism like there, there's a very large swath that won't be able to do that so yeah. it's kind of like glamorizing a little bit maybe people I don't, that don't understand i don't it, like, like that that has to be a tv show when i know what they say the reason is for making it it's like we want to show that like People can have like a normal like relationship and everything like that with it. And I think that's the message, the the like wink wink message to get it made. Yeah. But I think the re- the reason it stays on is because I think people tune in for the wrong reasons. Yeah, it's more and of I, an and, exploitation. Than yeah, that. and at that point if they're getting ratings and able to continue making the show, no one that's running that show, and if it's making money, is going to question the reason yeah. that the show. Are we... People are getting the the right message from us on this, right? We're, mm-hmm. We we think we're doing one thing, and the people are perceiving it as another thing. This was our idea for it. People are tuning in. They must have the same way. I think it's the same thing with like like um, we got on a kick of watching. I can't. I can't. Is it my four hundred? My five hundred? My six hundred? I can't remember which one it is. But we were watching that, and I was. It's just like it's crazy because you do understand that like stuff comes through as far as like like tragic things have happened to these people, but does does the show do more good than bad? Like, does this show inspire people to know that they can go get help and that it's possible no matter like how mm-hmm. far gone you are, or are the people watching this show technically like me watching it and being like being like. I just feel like I feel either bad or guilty watching this. Like, but like you continue watching, you're like, is the next person going to be worse? And are they going to try to change their life? That's almost at the end. You're like, please, like after like I invested this time watching this episode, please tell me this person actually did something. Mm-hmm. Like they, they dropped a hundo or something mm-hmm. like that. I kind of feel, I, I hope in those situations that it is good, but there's still a sick part of me where like when I watch hoarders and I see an episode that's kind of mild and it's like, why, how come this made it on the air? Like, this is half as bad as last week's episode. Like, I almost tune in to see how bad humanity mm-hmm. can get. But at the same time, I don't like it. Like, I'm not I'm not happy to watch it. But there is something just so interesting about seeing a mental illness at that point, like, take a physical form. Yeah. And I, maybe I just have a bad time watching those. Because, like, Love Intervention... Don't know if I've ever watched Intervention it's, not being high. It's just a preference, man. Like, I watch shows that, like, Katie wouldn't touch, and she watches shows that I wouldn't touch. Speaking... Like, and we, like... It's like, you know, um, what do they call it? Is it a Venn? What's the... Venn what's diagram? That? Is that a yeah. Venn? Um, 
Yeah, so you literally have, it's a Venn diagram, so my interest on one side, and then literally for TV shows, there's like that <laughs> overlap. It's just like a sliver overlap, and in there lives certain shows like The Office, Friends, at one point Sons of Anarchy, there was like shows that we've been mm-hmm. able to kind of like merge into that, and then like certain movies, but she likes to watch like certain things, and I like to watch certain things that, but... the. On the 500-pound person thing or whatever it is, do you remember... You remember True Life on MTV? Mm-hmm. So... That's where it got started. That's where that... That's where I think this show kind of got started. Isn't that where, like, Catfish... Kind of the documentary type things like that. I thought it was True Life. But there was a True Life... I don't remember Team if it Mom was Team like, Mom actually came out. I think that show was actually... Now, thinking back on it, man, I think that show was responsible for a lot of this shit. Just a jumping board for everything else? Yeah, because, like, if you think about when it came out, it came out when we wanted, like, entertainment. Like, when I was probably... I was watching that probably around, like, when I was 15 or 16. Uh-huh. But, like, that's the things that you watch, and so the shows just followed you. Like, as you start getting older, yeah. it's like, now it's catfished, and then it was Teen Mom and... Yeah. There was one where it was like true life I'm obese or something like that and dude rolled up to a fast food place and ordered like two or three meals and he ordered like large drinks with them too mm-hmm. and it was just him like just him in the car and then he pulled over and mm-hmm. wolfed it all down and to this day if I'm ever at like a fast food place and like I'm picking something up for me and for somebody else mm-hmm. and I ordered like two meals I immediately that's immediately where I flash back in my head I'm like oh god they're gonna think that I'm that guy like they're gonna think that I'm ordering all this stuff for me when in reality everybody goes to fast food and orders like if I'm the only one in the car they're yes. gonna think it's all for me you go pick stuff up for people all the time and, and you're making that assumption because you're a larger individual yeah, just being a big person, yes. sometimes that's what I don't it mean is. fat by that either. No, it just... You're just like, yes. I, I, we having this conversation while you were standing by the sink. It looked well, like, I was like, that? I didn't thought that was a normal height sink. Just being a massive individual. Like, if I were to walk into a McDonald's and I'm a foot and a half taller than the person taking my order and I'm just a big bear-like individual to You just them. need to start prefacing it by saying, order your first meal <laughs> and then being like, and my girlfriend's going to have... And then just, just make like, a phone and then, call, and then when you and then when you pull up, or be like, "Hold on, I gotta pull up my girlfriend's order on my phone." Just imagine something like that; it'll make you feel better. It'll leave no doubt. I mean, they'll still be like, "Uh huh." They're like anything else. I'm just like, "Uh, no, that that's it, and it's for more than just me." I, I just want to get that out there. I, w- I want to tell you that. That's oh. one of those things where, when it happens, and you think like like looking at meals now everything is always bigger than it used to be, like the drinks and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Would it blow your mind if I told you that when we built a canal, we built a ship that was the exact size for that canal, but the desire to send more shit made people build a bigger ship that wouldn't fit in the canal just because they wanted to send more stuff? Are you talking about my second favorite Van Halen song? Panama. Yes. Panama Canal. Panama. Panama. So, are you talking about? Oh, you're talking about how the name of the like standard of ships that they would have to build 
would have to be a specific. You know what? This I'm actually kind of curious about. If this is something there, I'm gonna start jumping around on this. Okay. I apologize. Okay. Because of the amount of trade that went through the canal, which it's still a ton. Yeah. It's still a ton. It's more. Right. It's more than I can you know fathom when you say like the percentage. The percentage makes it sound low, but the amount of ships that go through it, you're like, oh, that's still an insane amount. Well, yeah, when you think that 5% of the world trade goes through the Panama Canal. Yeah. And 5% is not a big number, but also when you look at the Panama Canal and how small it is, mm-hmm. that's a lot of trade. Yes. So, when you have, like, the canal is determining these companies that are building ships and then they even have to like name the build of the ship or the size of it after the Panama Canal. So it was the Panamax, right? That's what they made that was the max size ship that was able to go through. Okay. So it was also, did you know that the Panama Canal also had something to do the size that they determined was determined because of like warships too. When the United States took over construction, they had to determine the size of warships that could go from the East Coast to get to the Pacific Fleet. I didn't know that. Yeah. I knew that that was a, a thought process, was if we can build this, if we need to for war, which luckily they did, because right after it got done, things started to get real hot mm-hmm. worldwide. But I didn't realize that that was one thing that they built it for, like with the forethought of, hey, we're going to need this for our military. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the reasons that we probably intervened, to get the whole thing finished. There's a lot of reasons, and I'd like to say that all of them were good at that point, but it... No, uh, all of them, I think, were good at that point. Just how they came about getting things was not great. So the entire concept, to me, when I'm looking at this, is the entire concept is actually kind of just... It's weirdly kind of batshit crazy when you think about it. When the first person tried to imagine this being done, when they didn't know, like, when the technology of the time... You're like, how did you think you ever would ever do that with, like, just, like, steam shovels and... Like, manpower. To think that you could do that. Like, nowadays, I think we're so used to such, like, grand buildings and feats of engineering because the technology is so advanced. Like, mm-hmm. the New World Trade Center Tower would be like, oh my god, look at it. And like, we, like, you look at some of these suspension bridges in, like, China and everything. They're just, they're wonders. Yeah, but, we have full-on bridges that span miles and miles to go out to the Florida Keys yeah. and places like that. But to basically say, hey, why don't we just kind of, like, divide North and South America, basically? On the Continental Divide. Yep. It's where two, te- uh, where two tectonic plates come together. So and just slice it to where we could get ships instead of having to go all the way around South America and Strait of Magellan. Or did you know that there was also a passage north? Like, through, like, northern Canada, between northern Canada and the um, North Pole. That wasn't all iced over? No. Huh. It would be like, you could see just like, it was almost like island chains, and you could get through all the way. Like, almost like a Hudson. Yeah, I'm Hudson guessing not a lot of people took that, but it they said it was a path. Yeah. But anyway, we're like, fuck this piece of land. <laughs> Let's just punch a freaking canal through it, and then we'll just be able to take a shortcut. Well, I think like you were talking about too, there was a lot of thought process at the time where like everybody wanted to do it because the first guy that saw it and thought that it would have been a good idea was uh, Vasco Balboa, the Spaniard that was 
Rocky's great ancestor. Yeah, exactly. And he discovered the Isthmus in like 1513 and stood right in the middle and realized that he could look over and see the Atlantic is Ocean. He, is an Isthmus, I didn't even look it up, but I knew they said a lot. Is an Isthmus basically just a tiny connection of land between two it, major continents? Yeah, it's okay. just basically like the thinnest strip between uh, two bodies of water, I think, is what it would Wh- be. Which the layout of Panama confused the shit out of me because when I googled Panama Canal and it showed me... Do you see the close-up one I have over here? Yeah. When it shows you the close-up of the canal, and then it shows you this is the Pacific Ocean down there, mm-hmm. and that's the Atlantic Ocean up there and the Caribbean, you're like, no, the map's upside down. Yeah. Like, I can't Holy find one that has... Holy shit. Do you notice that? Now I do. Yeah, so you're like, how? what do you mean that's the Pacific? The Pacific what is supposed to be on that fuck? side of it. So, Panama... If you're looking at it, so you have Mexico, then the Central American countries, you get to Costa Rica, and then Panama almost goes almost entirely west to east. It's like a... a, a uh, like a, a parabola. A, a reverse curve. S. Yeah. So, basically, if you wanted to drive across Panama, you would start, and you could start driving kind of, I guess that would be southeast, yeah, or southeast, then you would start going east... Then you would have to go more like northeast. So you're going up. Well, and I think I read that the um, port to get into it from the Atlantic side mm-hmm. is like 22 miles west of where it is to get into the Pacific. So like it's it's not a straight shot. Like it's bent in a certain way. No, it like it's almost like you have to backtrack. Like, look at the how you're coming from the Caribbean. Yeah. So you have to sail into the Caribbean, and then you're almost kind of, like, turning south, and then you start heading southeast through the canal, and then you come out in the Pacific Ocean further east than you started in the canal. I don't know why this is so amazing. It's just, like, when you look at it, the picture's like, it's got to be wrong. It's upside down. Well, and... 99% of the reason that it is that way is because that was just how the water was flowing. That was how they could get through the mountain range. It was, and I think it was the smallest point. And there was also, at the that time, there was some smaller existing lakes that they thought would make it easier for them. Mm-hmm. It also might have been, like you were talking about, the Continental Divide. It also might have probably been the lowest point of that, maybe. Yeah, just like the canyon that runs between them. And this, one thing that America figured out real quick from a lot of trial and error was that there was no way to shape the earth. You had to work with everything that you had. And uh, right around the 1820s is when the French really started to work on trying to make this happen. And I think at that point they had steam power. I'm not I think they might have had positive. steam. Like, it would have been like steam shovels that were barely... Early. And if you, like, Google an image of a steam shovel, this isn't, like, an excavator or a backhoe. No. Basically, think of, like, a scoop on a rail, and it could basically just move up and down. That's really all it could do, and maybe dump. So, it wasn't, like, it was expediting the process. Of course, it was making it to where it could carry a lot more and do, you know, the work of, like, tons of dudes, but... It's not as it's not what you think it is, you know. It's not the end-all, be-all construction equipment. No, and it... It just wasn't enough. And the French wanted to build the canal at sea level because they thought that that would be the easiest way across 50 miles. That's the mm-hmm. stretch that the canal goes across, 50 miles. And they realized real quick that no matter how much they dug down, 
through mudslides that it would trigger through torrential rains or anything like that. Like, every time they would dig out, there'd just be a mudslide that would fill it right back up. Well, when they went and did the survey to determine if they could do a sea level canal, they did it during, like, the summer. It wasn't the rainy season. Mm-hmm. So basically, they were seeing everything at the lowest possible level it would be as far as flooding and stuff. And so they designed it like that. And kind of like you're saying, like, the way that they're having to go ahead and do the canal is the the terrain of Panama to get that much out of the way and to dig a trench through all of that, it just ended up not being possible. And their other thing that they really kind of screwed up on was any of the excavation that they had taken out from mm-hmm. where they were, they didn't spread it out. There wasn't a way to push it further away from where the excavation site was. So there were just mounds of dirt that would eventually give way with a mudslide, and they would slide right back into the same hole. Mm-hmm. Not only back into the same hole, but burying all the people that were down there, yeah. too. And France, the Frenchies just did not do well. What, they lost 20,000 people trying to cut through? Well, the guy that ended up kind of thinking they could do the sea level was Ferdinand, is it De Lesseps? Yeah, De La didn't get his job done. So he was the one who built the Suez Canal. Is it the Suez or Su- I always Suez? Suez Canal. So the Suez Canal is the one that actually connects is it the Mediterranean? I know the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Okay, the Red Sea and the Mediterranean. It so, was a passageway basically so they could get down to trade routes further, trade routes without further. having to go all the way around Africa and Cape of Good Hope and everything. That to me, it's so nuts to think about just how far they would have to travel back in the day and what they'll undertake to try to go ahead and just like even if they don't get it done in their lifetime, just to be able to do that. The yeah. Suez Canal is kind of crazy because it's sand. So to me, I think that with sand, I'm like, how much do they have to dredge that? Thing? No. And that's that was all that it was, was it was dredging. They would have to dredge out the sand to get across there, mm-hmm. whereas you're going through rocks and hard... That's why they thought they could do the sea yeah. level one, because the guy that designed it was like, oh, no, I designed a, the Suez is 120 miles. So he's like, I made something 120 miles. This is only 50 miles. Guys, like, I got this. Yeah, this isn't even half of what I did before. We're mm-hmm. cool here. It, they severely underestimated it. They only ended up completing... What was it? 11 miles between 1820 and 1888. So they didn't even get halfway. Oh, no. That's a fifth. Yeah. Like it, a fifth. Barely a fifth. Just a little bit more than a fifth. So one thing, too, with this part of Panama. So it had been determined after um, Balboa discovers the Isthmus and everything. They determined that that is the smallest portion of Panama. And so... The reason that this location was also taken was that this was already kind of an established, like, railway route. So, yeah. basically, if you were trying to get from, like, the East Coast or the Atlantic, and you were traveling somewhere, you know, into the Pacific, unless you're going the other direction, you're heading around Africa and going by India and everything, you would come this way. You'd want to avoid the additional time it took, especially, I think, trips that were coming from the East Coast of the United States just trying to get to the West Coast. Yep. It was still... Tri- uh, quicker to do it this way. 9,000 nautical miles is how far it takes you to go from New York all the way around to San Francisco. 
not going through the Panama no, Canal. No, not going through the okay. Panama Canal. So going down to South America. Gotcha. So, but there was an entire group, or like an option would always be to stop in Panama City, mm-hmm. and you would take a railroad all the way to the other side of that that fifty mile stretch. Yeah. And the company that you were taking your ship with or doing your shipping and everything would have another one of their ships on that side, and the different ship would then take it from that side of Panama to the East Coast. Just basically dry dock it across land. Exactly, but they figured, you know, we're having to unload this stuff and load it. We're losing so much money. And this is pre, I want to say it's pre-Transcontinental Railroad, and I'm not positive on that, but during this time was when the gold rush was happening Mm -hmm. in San Francisco, or in California. So... Your only option was to either figure out how to travel across the land without a railroad or anything like that, which I'm sure was treacherous, or you take a boat around. So that was what the need for the railway was across Panama, was if they can get you down there, they can get you across the railway, and then they can get you up to California to the gold rush quicker. And at this point, isn't it, it's actually not even Panama. So at this point, early on, I think, wasn't it part of Colombia? Um, it was Panama before, and then Colombia got greedy and basically okay. took them over. And at that's one, at one point the U.S. when it, there was like when we start getting interested in it to take it over after seeing kind of the what the French had done. I think we funded and backed the rebels that were like Panamanian, like um, independent, mm-hmm. and helped them basically kick the Colombian government and Colombia rule out of Panama with the intention of being like, okay, we helped you guys get this. Now you're going to give us a good deal on trying to get this thing finished. I'm. This is the part where I don't know if I want to... I don't think that the U.S. did this for like purely selfish reasons, but in 1902, they decided that this was where they needed to be and this is where they wanted to... Excuse me. Basically take over where France had failed mm. and fix it because... They wanted to make themselves more of a world power. They wanted to really uh-huh. show that they could flex their muscle and that they were big in the world. Well, and at this point, too, I don't know how, kind of what the temperature in the room is in 1902 as far as World War One, um, But I think kind of just looking when um, the United States started building, like, battleships, and I think when countries, especially when the United States, started developing its navy... And realize, okay, in order for our Navy to be successful, not only do we need to have a Navy in the Atlantic and a Navy in the Pacific, but we need to be able to go ahead and add and subtract from those and swap ships and stuff a lot faster than sailing the, what did you say, 7,000 or 9,000? 9,000 extra nautical miles around. I think if we just bite the bullet right here, finish this canal, and then especially if we're going to have access to it, because if the United States is going to step in, and finish it, you can be sure as shit that we're not just doing it and then handing it over to Panama and being like, okay, your guys' show. Because if anything happened and there was a world war, what better way to give your Navy the advantage than to control the shortcut? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a That one passageway to get through there is a cheat code to beat your enemies to wherever they're going. Oh, or yeah, to get or to over reinforce your own, you know, reinforce your own Navy. And that's kind of where I think that the U.S. saw their distinct advantage. And if it was a 50-50 deal, it would have been great. I think that it was more 
that they overthrew the Colombian government to try to gain access to that land because they wanted it for what their reasons were. And part of that was after they had overthrown Colombia and Panama had taken themselves back over, they had paid, it was like $40 million to the French company for like their assets and everything that they had had there. Then they gave Panama $10 million and had signed a treaty with them that was Didn't called... they also lease it for $250,000 a year or something like that? Well, this is the part where it gets weird and it seems like America kind of pulled a fast one, was they had a Panama with... Or, wow, they had a treaty with Panama that was called the Hey Bunau Vania Varia Treaty or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it said that the U.S. was granted power over everything inside the canal zone. So... The canal zone wasn't like ten miles to each side or something. Yeah, it was a pretty sizable area to each side of the the canal. Well, in the Panamanian understanding of it, was that all the villages and everything that fell within that zone were still their villages. Mm -hmm. But the U.S. had said, "I know that we said that we were only going to control the zone, but we also control all the villages that are in the zone too. So if we need you guys to move." we're going to flood this area and you guys are going to move. Whereas I don't think Panama really understood like that there was a difference between the zone that they wanted and then the villages. Yeah. That's one thing too. Um, kind of going into what it ended up being decided that would be the way, the best way to develop the Panama Canal. And when you think about making a canal in my head, all I thought about was exactly what I think the Suez Canal is. It's a sea level canal that just goes straight through. That's what you think about if you think of a canal. It's just a straight waterway. Yeah. So, after, and I'm not sure who ended up kind of creating the survey or the determination that this would be the best way to do it, was they determined that in order to go through as little land as possible and make, like, essentially, you know, like you said, the artificial valleys and the actual canal itself, they were like, we could dam up the natural river that comes through here, create a giant lake, flood a huge amount of area. That would raise essentially the water high enough to get over a majority of the hills and everything that we normally have to just either blast and then dig through. Mm -hmm. So basically instead what they're saying is instead of going through it, we're just going to go and bring the water level up and go over it. And they determined that the height that you would have to go from sea level to get over a majority of the mountains or land, they would still have to do some work. And we'll talk about that. That's what the gold, uh, Goldbrook hut. Yeah, going through the mountains. Going through the tectonic plates. Yeah, it's the continental divide. So yeah, it was called like Hell's Hell's Gulch or something like yep. that. Hell's and Gorge. So in order to, basically, the Panama Canal for the majority of the trip through that fifty miles. The ships are fifty or eight of eighty and eh, eighty five feet above sea level. That doesn't make any sense to me. I maybe I'm just dumb and I don't understand that. But how can water sit that far above sea level? It it's sitting in an area that's already above sea level. You're just trapping it. So, but like, why wouldn't it? I I get with the lock system and we'll get into that. Uh-huh. But why wouldn't all that water just run to the lowest point? They and. The whole point of this is so the name of the what was the name of the river? Uh, the Chagres. Okay, the Chagres. So they create a natural dam on the Chagres, and what they determined was 
they found all the points and they found that 85 foot mark. So essentially they would have survey teams go out around this whole area and probably as they started this dam, they were like, okay, the dam naturally has to hold 85 feet of water. Yeah. So let's go ahead and make it, you know, let's just say 100 feet. So it's going to hold. As that dam and started, that water started pooling, if it never kept rising, they'd be like, okay, I think we've got a, a leak. And they would go find that. So that might be the main primary dam, but I'm guessing there's a lot of earthwork that goes in to seal up those smaller valleys and stuff. So at this point, though, the question I got is when they decided to do that, that lake is huge. At one point, it was the largest man-made lake in the world. Yeah, Gatun. Who got displaced? A ton of people. A ton of those villages ended up getting flooded to where they had to move. I think that there's a Panama City that's another big one, and then there's another town. But they were moving these people out, and the other really shitty thing that they said was anybody that would be displaced by Gatun Lake or by the damming or anything Mm -hmm. that was going on or in the canal zones, if they took their houses with them, then they wouldn't be compensated for the move. Mm -hmm. And these people were... Didn't have a whole lot. I mean, it wasn't an affluent area or anything like that. No, it's the Panamanian... It's the middle yeah, of... It's, it's the Panamanian jungle. It's a fucking third world country. Yes. At that point. So anybody that moved their actual shit, like moved their houses and all their furniture if they had it, or any of their valuables, I, I collectibles, that, anything like that. I probably not they, collectibles. They probably didn't collect a lot back then. Huh? I understand that, but you gotta understand. Okay, here's my thing. This is like the 19... 1910s? Let's just say the, the 19s to the 1910s. Yeah. How much of an effort... Look how big that is. If you're looking up Google, just kind of pull up like the close-up of it. So Gatun Lake, it is. it takes up the majority of the travel goes through Gatun Lake, I think. Oh, it's, so a majority it's of the 50 miles go through this lake. Here's the deal. This lake doesn't run just kind of like along the route of the Panama Canal. The lake is almost longer north to south, it looks like, than it is like the path of the canal. So this is huge. It's the, it was the largest man-made lake in the world at one point. What I'm saying is, before they start doing this, what percentage of these people living in villages do you think they actually are able to find or get in touch with or even make the effort to do? They, I, none. A, a token amount to say, yeah. probably again, ten, like the canal zone. It was probably yeah. 10 miles to one side, 10 yeah, miles to the other. Who's going to know? And not to mention, how are you going to communicate with these people? Because if it is tribes or anything like that... And, or you can just say, I tried to communicate with them. And mm-hmm. they, I told them, I gave them what I was supposed to give them, and if they stayed, they stayed. Yeah, All I'm sorry. saying is, like, the 20,000 <laughs> 20, French people died. That's the that's just on the French people that were working on that. And the majority of that was, what, it was malaria? Um, it, it was a lot less than what I thought it would be between malaria and yellow fever. But it, kind of the... Th- thing that I think was a little bit odd with that was it's something where once you get malaria and I think maybe yellow fever too you just get a natural immunity from uh-huh. so if you survive through the first run of it you are gonna ha- hoot come on bro we got a we got canine we got a four legged situation go go yeah, go, go on man. go try go, yeah. find. go go on now get go brew brew go brew <laughs> All right. Um, so I think there was a lot of them that did end up getting natural immunities and were able to stay there and work. But most of the people, I think, died from just mudslides and accidents because the, oh, God damn it. that's where so much of it was, was in 
where they were and the way that they were trying to do it just lent to all these just terrible yeah, accidents. The, the Suez Canal, like I know we keep going back on this, this was like the Suez Canal's in Egypt. Or it, yeah, it is, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's the desert. Yeah, it's hot as fuck. But you're like just days through sand. There's not like fucking jungle and poisonous snakes and a bunch of fucking like no. jungle animals that are gonna fucking eat and kill you. There's or no, like well then, bugs and shit that yeah. give you infections. There's also no bedrock. It's just all yeah. sand and sea, so it's going to be easy to go through. You're going to dig forever until you find solid ground, mm-hmm. so it was an easy trip to go across there. Well, Teddy Roosevelt ends up stepping up, and to figure this thing out, chooses uh, John... Is it Frank? Frank? John Frank Stevens? Yes. Okay, so John Frank Stevens to um, design like the lock system, or is it to lead? He, he was chosen to lead and they oh, kind of gotcha. decided around that time that they were going to need a lock they realized that there was nothing that they could do yes as far as like at sea well, level that, that was kind of the big debate back and forth is when they first decided about the method they were going to do is it was either the lock system to raise the level or sea level and because of the I'm probably eh, I'm pretty sure because of how technical and how much work the lock system would have required. They were like, well, if you can do it sea level, do it sea level. Yeah, but it, it was just an impossibility at that point. So, basically what the lock system is, is... I'm going to try to explain this without looking at a picture, so I'm not just describing it. Um, it's a... You drive your boat into it, doors close behind the boat. Seven foot wide concrete barrier Seven back behind thick, you. yeah. The, and it's huge. It's it's enough to accommodate. I think it's a hundred. When they first designed them, it was a hundred and eighteen. So they agreed upon when um, the United States bought it. The plans were originally for a small, or a narrower. Uh, Roosevelt told them that guess what? Our battleships are actually a hundred and thirty. I think he said a hundred twenty-eight feet wide. So you guys need to make it a hundred twenty-nine feet wide so the battleships <laughs> get through. And they ended up coming to an agreement on a hundred and eighteen. So that even shrunk our battleships so we designed them. So, 118, about the battleships, when one of them go through, I'm not even shitting you, when they said they pushed it, I'm not even shitting you, six inches on each side. It, that six just gives inches. me anxiety thinking about it. And one of the other things that they did with it is you weren't allowed to drive your own ship through. You had to be tugged by towboats, so, or the, uh, towed by system, tugboats. Yeah. The rail system on the side. Tug rails. Was like, yeah. And tug rails. It, <laughs> <laughs> it was just enough to where if you didn't have those two things synced up, like if one car was too far, like six inches in front of the other and one, pulled it and started to yes, yeah. eventually you're going to run into the side. Yeah, I had it. It has to have happened multiple times. Well, fuck, it happened like four years ago, too. Did it? You don't remember the dude that ran ashore and closed the Panama Canal for like two weeks? Oh, was it the Suez? Yeah, and it just happened again like three weeks ago. (sighs) Yeah, well, first the report was like, Jesus Christ, how did they not fix this? Yeah, two words, tug rails. I know. Well, because the Suez is, it's wider and it doesn't, because it's the sea level, you don't have to have people checking in like this. True. So you drive into the first, let's just call it like bay. It's a really long bay, wide, but you can get the whole boat in there. So it's about, I think they said the first one, and the amount it raised your boat differed. So I think there were three um, on the Pacific side. I'm actually just going to pull this up real quick. 
the total coming out just because it was 85 feet above sea level was how far they would have to raise it. And that was on the Atlantic side. On the Pacific side, there was a couple locks that would drop you down, kind of stair-stepping you, getting down to the ocean. And they would be, like, there's on one side of it, there's three locks. The Pacific side. Is on the Pacific side. So there's three on the Pacific side. So basically, you would come in, and they were were staggered. So you'd hit two, and then you would go for a little bit, and then hit a third Mm -hmm. one, I think. So drive in. Door shut behind you. The walls next to you holding your ship in are probably like 20 feet high. They then would flood that by opening the doors in front of you, or they would have a flooding system. I don't think they just open the doors in front of you. And they would then bring you up probably like 15 or 20 feet. From, then, from the freshwater Gatoon Lake. Yes. Yes, all from the lake. So they bring you up. Then they open the doors in front of you, and that water level that was in that compartment is the same height that you are now. You then drive forward. They close the doors behind you. Another, you're in another lock. You're about 20 feet. You know, walls are 20 feet. They flood you up another 20 feet, and then they open it up in front of you, and now you're level with that water. So it's like a, it's, it's like an escalator. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's like you feel I feel like, like saying that, though, without describing what it is, doesn't do it justice to how fucking, like... How, what it actually does. Well, in my simple mind, I think of these, or the the old people bathtubs, mm-hmm. where you walk into it and then close the door and then it fills up with water. Yeah. It's basically like that. Like, you pull in, they close the old person door, it fills up with water, you drive on to the I next one. just described it like that. It's going to save me a lot of fucking time. <laughs> I mean, like, the, it's the thing, it's the old person thing. The other thing, too, is what did they say it takes Per time a ship goes in, it's millions of gallons. Yeah. They come out of the lake, the freshwater lake. Well, and that was an issue because Gatun Lake was the main water source for everybody, uh, not all of Panama, but all the port cities. Yeah, in that huge region. you're flooding all this water out, which means you're draining it, but also there's some seawater that's getting in there. So you're creating brackish water that's undrinkable Mm -hmm. for people. Which, Which is weird how that would eventually get in there. It would just seep. Yeah, and it was something like every time they filled the lock, it was like 80% of the water that came from Gatun Lake was just wasted at that point that they couldn't filter back yeah, in. Yeah, they did some reconstruction on it here recently, and basically the system now is they can recycle about like 60% and turn 60% of that waste into reusable which is still insane when you really think about it, that even in this day and age, they're like, yeah, we can't figure out a system to just reuse all the water. Well, and I immediately think, like, just a big bladder or something underneath, but that's probably probably I get the water that and... I get the water that you have to lose when a ship is going out, mm-hmm. because you're flooding it, you're opening it, yeah, and then, you open and the, then gates. the water's going with it. But you would think that, like, with the technology we have, they're like, yeah, man, apparently 60% is <laughs> as much as we can do. All right, so kind of in, in structuring this, I feel like I'm talking a lot. I... This whole thing just kind of blows my mind, and I'm just kind of in awe of how this works, because engineering at the time, I think, was a little bit... uh, We were out of the Industrial Revolution. We had already reaped the benefits of that. This undertaking, to me, always... Like, when I think of 50 miles nowadays, they could cut through this shit very quickly, and it took the French from the 1820s to 1888 to get 11 miles. It took America... 
from 1902 to what 1914. So in 12 years, they went 50 miles. Were in, in like 60 years. In defense of the French, and I do not don't, don't see that. No, listen, I don't see that being a phrase. I ever really say that often, but listen, it was all about how the French went about it. Had they just went with the lock system and just raised the water level 85 feet for the majority of the trip between the two, they wouldn't have even had to do that. So the biggest thing that they still had to overcome, though, even though we decided to do the lock system because it obviously was the easiest way to do it, but what we were talking about was that they called it the Gilliard and then the uh, Coulibras... I'm just butchering this. Coulibras is the Panamanian word for it. And what they found was this was where the two tectonic plates collided and created the Continental Divide. For everyone that's not aware of the Continental Divide is the point in a country or a region in which water is going to go from one side, so any rainwater that falls on this side of the mountain is heading for the Pacific, any rainwater that falls on this side of the mountain, that's heading for the Atlantic. I had no idea what that was. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I assume the Rocky Mountains are a continental divide? Yes, because... Any mountain range would have to be a continental divide, right? Because that's where the tectonic plates have hit and pushed mountains up. No, so basically think of it this way. Even if water landed on, like, you have another mountain range next to the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Between us and the uh, West Coast. Mm -hmm. Even if it was another set of mountains, that would still, the Rocky Mountains would still funnel the the water between them and send it out to the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. So it's never getting past that way, the Rocky Mountains, and that's what makes it the divide. Okay. So they still had to basically blast and dig a valley through the Continental Divide. And so what did you say it was? Hell's Gulch? Uh, yeah, Hell's Gorge. Hell's Gorge. And you kind of brought something to my attention because when I thought, like, the United States, like, um, decided to build this, part of me, for some reason, thought that, like, this was, like, the United States building it. Like, they were in charge of it. Uh But... It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, like, workers from the U.S. No. Um, so, interestingly enough, I don't know if these two were related, but um, after we get done with John Frank Stevens, after his time is done, mm-hmm. Roosevelt replaces him with a guy named George Washington Gothels, which I I don't know if he was related to George Washington, or I maybe that was, was... I think that was just a thing that people just would do. like a... A good name of the times. Yeah, like a flex. Like, I'm sure there's, like, a John Adams Robertson. Yeah, okay. Or a James Hamilton Rowe. I could see that. Yeah. I think it was, like, a flex. My name's, hey, George Washington. uh, I'm using Trill (laughs) off the last name. (laughs) You said your name was George Washington. I said my name was George Washington Smith. And I wasn't lying, because two of my three names are George Washington. But he's the guy that really gets everything going as far as the construction. And one of the biggest concerns that they had, like you were talking about with malaria and with yellow fever, was that it was from a certain mosquito that bred in, like, contained confined areas, so, like, water barrels or anything like that. And the first thing that they wanted to do to make sure that everybody was going to be safe down there was they created a mosquito program to basically go through and clear-cut any areas where there was a breeding ground. They would drain any lakes or any standing bodies of water that weren't constantly moving. Mm -hmm. 
And then they went through, and I don't know if they sprayed. I'm sure they probably did because we were pretty we pumped about that. Sprayed everything. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm just trying to give us a little bit of credit, but they went if through. It and killed if it killed what you wanted it to kill, and it didn't kill you immediately. We fucking used it. Well, and they were going through in the villages where the spraying was happening, and they were going through houses. Like they basically gave themselves the power to go through houses and make sure that there wasn't anybody collecting any rainwater. They pulled down gutters from mm-hmm. these shacks in these villages to make sure that it didn't happen. And to the U.S.'s credit, they did pretty much wipe out like ninety-five percent yeah. of the malaria and everything. At what cost is sort of a different story. Not, not great. Well, I was going to say, because if you're really factoring in, you would say, well, they got rid of the malaria. Well, remember, with the malaria, didn't you say that if you do get it, you became immune to it afterwards? If you live through it, then you would get full-on immunity. So, like, it's one of those things, like, well, thanks a lot of us living already had it, so it wasn't a bit concerned. But at the yeah. same time, you do have to be like, well, thank God our children won't have to try to fight through this. I, but that's the thing. I'm not, I'm, but it was for our own, it was for our own... It was directly for white people being down there that didn't yes, have the immunity. Correct. These I people, understand that. These people that were living these in these communities... These people benefited by what would the... They benefited just by, like, association. By proxy, maybe, but was it worth it for them? I mean, it it would suck to have a a kid die from it, but at the same time, if they lived through it, they would have been fine forever. They wouldn't have had to have gone through getting sprayed and all that. So, after they get that through, they decide on the lock system being the way that they needed to go, like they had earlier. They decided on the depth and all that, and the white people that came down from America, which... Hopefully they weren't all white, but I have a feeling back in that time, in the early 1900s, they are probably all white, came down and took on these skilled labor jobs. So they were the ones that were running the cranes, they were the ones that were running the excavators, and this is where the French... I'm guessing foremen. Yeah, this is where the French really fell short, because they sent all their manpower over there. What America did was they courted people from the Caribbean, so um, the West Indies, the... African Americans that were stuck over there from the slave trade, different ethnicities would come from there with hopes of being able to make good money. And there were a couple weird things that I had read, like they had, you know, like Panama hats. Yeah. They basically created those in like the white linen suits and would give those to people as like a reason to come to Panama as far as like this is what you wear, this is what you would have, and all that kind At of stuff. Work? back to the Caribbean. So, like, people that had come oh. down to Panama would come back with that kind of stuff. They'd oh, be like, see, this like is re- what we oh, have. like it would better your life. Yeah, that that's... Much. Okay. That's why Panama hats are called Panama hats. And when they would do that, they would attract more people to come over and work, and all the unskilled labor jobs went to, essentially, black folks from the Caribbean. And when they would come down there, they would get all the unskilled labor jobs. So they wouldn't be the ones that were working around machinery or anything like that. They were the guys that were in there digging all day long and to make all that stuff happen. This is an unrelated and unserious question, but looking at this map, and I understand you're you're talking about a serious thing right now, but I can't get to that sound of my head. Has there ever been a supervillain in the plot of anything who was like, I'm going to destroy, like that bridge between North America and South America like I'm gonna nuke it and like that's supposed to be like a nefarious plot like that's like instead of taking out a bridge they're taking out that strip of land yeah like it would be I don't know that seems like (laughs) it it seems so ridiculous but I can see that being like a bad B movie being like 
oh my god, he's gonna nuke the Panama Canal. We won't be North and South America <laughs> together. And like all of a sudden, that's a big deal. In my mind, when you were saying that, I thought if they blow that apart, would that mean that they would separate out? Like one of them float would away, just float away. No. Yeah, <laughs> that happens. <laughs> that's how the movie goes. Like, they just, like we know, we actually had no idea. Our scientists found that we're just floating. They wanted to steal all of South America, so they just blew up that point yeah, and like, everything yeah, floated away. South America onto <laughs> us is this little spit of land. Pangea, man. We'll do an episode on that one time. That'll be interesting too. All right, I'm sorry. Like we can go back to the seriousness. So yeah, like, yeah. So and so the people that actually died during kind of the second go around with America running this show was significantly less. I think it would end up still being like 4,800, wasn't it? It was a decent amount. Not a lot of Americans ended up dying. It was more of the um, Caribbean folks that were working down there. And them just being in the general vicinity of where if a catastrophe happened, they would be the ones that were in it. And they had instituted something called a gold and silver system where the white Americans would end up getting paid in gold and the black people from the Caribbean would end up getting paid in silver, which obviously there's a very big disparity there. Here's the other thing I'm curious about. Who the fuck, like, they're paying, like, the Americans down there in gold? It's like, why don't you just pay me in dollars? It's like, no, man, down here you get paid in gold. I, I wonder if it had something to do with the currency because they couldn't be... It wasn't like they were getting oh, paid. Oh, they're living down there. Yeah, yeah there, okay, there's no sense. bank accounts back then or that anything like that. Because I forget it. They're down there. They're living down there for the duration of the time they're working down there. Yeah, and that was another thing that America really focused on was anybody that came down there would be given permission to bring their families down there and they would build them like very nice places to live as far as living conditions down there for Americans would be great. Whereas the people that came from the Caribbean would end up having to work or having to live in like shanty towns basically right around the areas that they were working. Kind of like when they built Vegas, how they did that. Yeah, exactly yeah. like how they built Vegas. It's a callback. Yeah. You see that? It's a good callback too. It, it To me, that's one reason that America, unfortunately, through, you know, bad means for everybody else that was helping them really changed from where the French were. The other thing that they did was um, the Panamanian railway system that they that the French had had access to. Mm-hmm. They had built offshoots from there. So when they would go through and they would have to dredge an area, they would have to clear an area, they would load these boxcars with all that earth and they would take it as far away as they could on the rail system away from where they were working. Well, so and, that way it wasn't cluttering the area they were in. Yeah, and they ended up developing. I think that it kind of followed the way the railway does, of course, once it gets to the lake, you know, the path that it goes, it has to, the railroad kind of has to take another path or kind of widen away from it. But it's pretty close to following the exact path of the railway. Well, yeah, I could see. Definitely from that picture. I never really looked at any of these pictures in depth. And seeing them now, it kind of brings a little bit more into focus as to how close everything kind of was. Yeah. And like you said, I had never seen Gatun Lake really in that size and scale, but it was massive. So kind of looking at it, if you were to go through the Panama Canal, so you would come into the Caribbean, and once you got to Panama, you would basically have to kind of hang a hard left and go straight kind of south. And you would enter in through, it's the, what they call the Gatun locks, and that's where the Gatun Dam is. It would then raise you up. That was the one with two, correct? Um, on the Pacific side? Yes. Or no, 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 you said three on the Pacific, two on the Atlantic. I think there was only one on the Atlantic. There had been two. The, there might have been two. Okay. There's a couple locks. 
So you go through those. That those two, I think one or two combined. It has to be two because it can't raise you eighty five feet in one lock. Okay, sounds good to me. Okay. Yeah, two old people bathtubs. Okay, two old people bathtubs lifts you up and puts you basically into Gatun Lake. So at that point, there's like buoys because this lake is huge. Like you gotta understand, this lake takes up about half of the fifty miles. And there's basically like buoys in the water that show you shipping lanes, and the ships just stay within them and they travel through. After you, if you're going that way, you go through Gatun Lake. Um, there's a it kind of narrows. Then you head into the um, actual area that was cut. You head kind of down a river and then into the area that was actually cut. So it's a straight shot called the Kulabra Cut. That's what the Panamanians call it. And then you get to the um, Pedro Miguel locks, go down, the Miraflores locks, and you go through Miraflores Lake, and then you go down to the final locks to put you out into the Bay of Panama, which is technically the Pacific Ocean. You don't want to think we're getting this confused. I think the locks can mean a series of separate locks. Yeah. Because the pictures we're looking at, if there's multiple locks, like the Pedro Miguel locks, that might have been one or two. Miraflores could have three within it. So there's like five sets of locks, and then each one could, I guess, have multiple. Yeah. As you're talking about it... Like you said, we're 80% back. Yeah, close enough. I mean, it's just a big canal that runs across there. But it took them... So after they ended up getting through with everything, it they completed everything. The last part that they had to cut through was that Hell's Gorge area that was the roughest uh-huh. part to cut through. And they actually had, um, I think it was one of the dams for Gatoon Lake from the uh, dam, or from that river. They One of the last things that they did was they filled it with dynamite, and they blew it to end up filling all that in there. Like the big and celebration that yeah, released the water? It was yeah. a big, big deal big. down there. And when they did that... Who do you think got to oh, do the plunger? So it was... Oh, you know who it was? It was the president, yeah. I don't think it was Roosevelt. <gasps> I think it, it was... was um, he did it like push yeah, yeah. like over the phone. So he, a signal. That's right. He pushed it over the phone, and then when he pushed it, it sent a signal down there, and then they were the That's ones that pressed right. it and God. did it. So I can't the, believe I forgot the that. goddamn president. I don't know. It was right after Roosevelt, I believe, because he wouldn't have been in office for that long. What? It was been, Truman. It would have been right after Roosevelt because it would have been two years into that next presidency. Because wasn't Roosevelt ten years? Because he took over for the guy that died. Sure. Yeah, close enough. I didn't study for that. <laughs> you know, like you <laughs> like a lot of the American yeah. side. But yeah, he pressed the button. So America had their hand in doing it. And the president had his own personal hand mm-hmm. in exploding it, making it happen. So they ended up opening it up. Um, it was August 15th, 1914. And in the nick of time, because I believe, and this is something that I really should have studied up on, and now that I'm high, I'm really regretting that I didn't do this earlier. Was that the kickoff, like of World War? I believe that was when Germany declared war on France. Okay. And there were still French people over helping the Americans get through things, because obviously uh-huh. they had had a pretty good idea of what they had to go through, so well, the Americans brought them the in. the Americans had like bought all of their equipment and everything mm-hmm. like that, too... I'm sure you had French companies over oh, yeah. for maintenance of the equipment to build parts and stuff like that. 
so there were people that were down there that just heard that their home country and all their families and everything back home were getting war, or getting war declared on them. So I believe it wasn't some of the first ships, but some of the first ships coming from the Pacific side mm-hmm. were the warships that were traveling through in order to get up to France to... That wouldn't be surprising. To start protecting them. So it was like, kind we of... We get to use it. Yeah. We get it, to use it. And it was... I'm sure they were like, yeah, this will be cool to use one day. And then they hear that and like, ah, fuck, can we you imagine it now. Can you imagine the fucking captain on that ship being like, these motherfuckers better made these things wide enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you only they have, have so much... Like, yeah, they better not have been lying to us about making these things. <sighs> Just absolutely amazing how close they would have had to have been with the parameters that they were built mm-hmm. in. But... To get from one side to the other, it was 8 to 11 hours to travel across. So that's kind of what I was getting to is with as complicated as it is, it wasn't, it's a 50 mile stretch. So it's not like it would have taken forever, but 8 to 11 hours to get from the Pacific to the Atlantic or vice versa would seem like an eternity when you're in there, but you're always going through something to where you, you're not driving, but there's always another impediment. Like, how are you sitting in a lock system and not just looking over the edge like, oh, fuck, this better go right? Because mm-hmm. if this holds us up, something goes wrong here, everybody that's behind us is screwed up. Well, the other thing, too, is once you get into the lake, if you're, like, you know, do you're used to doing any type of shipping, you're probably used to moving within, like more of a confined space. The lake is not small. No. I'm not trying to... So it looks like, you know, it's... Like, imagine you get out in the middle of Lake Michigan. You can hardly see either side. It's like beyond the ocean. So getting through that part, you just have to stay within the shipping lanes. But if you think about it, break it down, like, you're taking an 8 to 11 hour shortcut that is saving you... Nine thousand miles. Yeah, or not a, 9, a little less at that, it's, but thousands of nautical miles. Even if miles. you said half the distance, yeah, because I think it was actually half. Because if you probably. figure getting from New York to San Fran, come down, probably half. So even yeah. if you said four thousand five hundred miles, you're, yeah, you're cutting off traveling around all of South America. Weeks, weeks, of absolutely. And it, it was probably extremely efficient for the Navy to be able to do that. Um, unfortunately, getting back on the trade side, so. It was two lanes, which, obvious, one lane going one way, mm-hmm. one lane going the other way, so it was just basically a two-lane road. Um, they built these ships specifically, like we were talking about in the beginning, called Panmax ships that were built to the exact specifications to be the maximum amount that they could get for width like across max, these lanes. It was max length, max width. They tried to maximize everything. Max length, max width, and max draft, because it could only be... It could only its draft could only be so deep, and especially Just, if you were passing another ship, everything would be. Yeah, if anyone isn't aware, draft is essentially the distance between the water and where the bottom of the boat is. So how much travel it has between the level and the bottom. It would back up shipping lane or back up the shipping lane so much to take that eight to eleven hour as far as like getting into the locks, mm-hmm. and we're talking about back in um, nineteen fourteen when it opened. That full year, there were a thousand ships that passed through, so a, a fairly good amount. But nowadays, in this current time, fourteen thousand ships. So we've gone fourteen times as many ships through there. So you can imagine the backup and waiting. You're not waiting if you're the sixth boat in line to go through that day. So is it fourteen thousand ships in a year? A year. Uh, yeah. Okay. So forty pass through daily. 
So if you're 50th in line, you're waiting a whole nother day. Yeah. And there's many more than 50 that are sitting out there waiting their spot in line. Mm -hmm. So they created um, ships that were, I believe they're called more than max or it's post max. That's what it is. Okay. It's called a post pan max ship. And they found that instead of using, like if you had to wait six days, if you were in line to get through there Mm -hmm. and it only took you five days to get around it, they would build these post pan max ships and just go ahead and circumvent the whole thing and do the old route. But they would be carrying much more stuff. Yeah. So basically what you're sacrificing is you're saying, what's the, it's a cost benefit analysis. Can we go ahead and fit more on a ship to make up for the fact that we're taking more there and where it would take another, you know, ship and a half's load. Mm-hmm. So instead of having to send out two ships, we're really having to send one despite it take a little bit longer. Yeah, and this was more kind of towards current times, but luckily, and I don't really give Jimmy Carter credit for a whole lot just because he's a one-term president and seems like an overall nice guy. I mean, he's like 96 years old and he's still building Habitat for Humanity and all yes. that stuff. Like, great guy. Maybe not the most effective president but in 1979, they kind of realized at that point that we'd occupied that for long enough, and it was probably time to give it back. Mm-hmm. So they negotiated giving back the Panama Canal to the Panamanian country. Um, as they did it, they had signed a 20-year agreement. So on December 31st, uh, 1999, they gave back the Panama Canal to Panama, which I... Maybe I don't really understand what the significance would be to do it right before Y2K. Maybe it was like a, a new millennium, so they we wanted to give it we up. We were going to lose the record of our ownership, and so we wouldn't have been able to it, prove it. I don't it, yeah, just weird that they did it right on Y2K. But after that, they basically handed them a bag of shit because it had been around for so long, and they had been they had been doing maintenance and different things, but it was almost outdated at that point Yeah, just because... They needed more. They were starting to build these post-pan ships that were so much bigger. And so Panama realized that they needed to basically sink as much money in this as possible because now this is their asset. Mm -hmm. And I think they sunk about $8 billion into it. And they started construction, uh, I think it was 2006. Is that what that is? Third to the last one on the bottom. Um, oh, 2006 started the expansion. Yeah. And the third lanes were completed in 2016. So it took them 10 years, and I think it was $8 billion, don't quote me on that number, to build this third lane in order to accommodate more ships and to accommodate these post Panmax ships mm-hmm. that they were losing business from. And the best business that they could be in was getting people through here because they would charge a toll based on weight. I know. So, That's the thing that like you really don't think about like when you're like, oh, did they just build this because it would make it faster for people to come through? But you're like, oh, no, 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 no. No, it was... Like, this thing's a moneymaker. Absolutely. So... If you're thinking you're getting 5% of global trade's money mm-hmm. based on weight coming through there, 5% for a country that is very small and yeah. very... Not and, and developed area. Once, you know, and I know that they had to do these expansions and everything like that. And they have to have people that are working and the equipment has to be up kept. Like you were saying, the locomotives that tow the boats through the locks, they have to stay perfectly in sync. So upkeep is a cost. 
what I'm saying is after that stuff is done, this thing you just are getting paid from it. Yeah, so it's like a cash flow positive all the time. I think they said some of the, one of like the most expensive passages was like $585,000. That's it? Yeah. Oh, as far as like a single toll to get through. A single toll. Okay, I thought you were talking about to like upkeep it. No, no, no. What I'm saying is like, okay, so imagine even if that's the highest one, but if it's based on like shipping weight, you're still getting hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. For a lot of these. And if you're getting 40 of these a day, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but then you say 14,000 ships come through a year, hundreds of thousands of dollars. This thing is like... Well, if if even you say what, if you average it out to the average toll would be $40,000 and you're sending 40 ships through a day, you're making like $16 million a day in tolls sending them through. So that, no, your math is because you're saying fourteen thousand a if, year. Yeah, but if they're sending forty, 40 a, day, a day, and it's forty thousand dollars, forty times forty thousand. Okay, fifty thousand dollars, just to make it easy. That's like twenty million dollars. Okay, let's see. I'm the calculator. I'm I, can't, I cannot do this without a calculator right now. Times forty. Yeah. Two million a day. Okay, so it's a little off. It's only eighteen million off, but still two million dollars a day that you're making times three hundred sixty-five. Seven hundred thirty million a year. That I don't think uh, that does. That sounds like it's too low. I think my phone's not getting enough numbers on there. <laughs> not dead serious, because like think about that. It was twenty. Did I just? It was well, 20. if you do two million dollars a day, yeah, times three hundred sixty-five. It's seven okay. seven hundred million and okay, change. That's still a lot. Yeah. Well, and that's just what they're grossing as far say, as operating costs and all that it's going to be a lot lower but it's still going to be a shitload of money that you're going to be making a year. I would imagine too that some shipping companies just have a flat rate that they pay oh yeah probably through the year God. whether they have to get that many ships through or not they're just like nope average it out historically high math is not or I'm glad that we don't have a historically high math podcast we're not a math class no that's one thing your professors of pot leaf don't get into so this thing's on a list of, you know, and you know what I'm finding out? There's a lot of lists of, like, greatest wonders of the world. Yeah? And, and we're, I think we're starting to kind of figure out that it's the same issue that they had. Um, who Whose did they go? Who was it that they went off of for the ancient world? Philo of Byzantium. Philo. So Philo, like, how did Philo, how, is he the, how did he get his to be the game in town? When there's all these kind of lists out. But anyway, getting back to Panama Canal. It's one of like the seven wonders they say of like the modern world. It's on a lot of those lists. Huh. I didn't know that. But it's an impressive feat. And to think that it was only 50 miles, 50 miles, (coughs) excuse me, in today's terms. I would like to know with all of our technology and everything that we have now, like what their estimated time to do. And obviously their estimate's going to be very beneficial to them. You can do this now. You couldn't do this now, not from a physical standpoint or a technical standpoint. You couldn't do this now because you'd have to build that lake and you'd just, there'd be no way that like... Oh, as far as like EPA and environmental shit? There'd be no yeah, way no, to be allowed no to chance. do that, displace all those people, wildlife, everything like that. They'd be mm-hmm. like, nope. It, at that point, it would have been a sea level canal if we tried to do it now. They're like, don't disturb shit. You can have this. They probably wouldn't even be able to do that. But I think, you don't think they would be able to do that with modern technology? 
To, oh, to do just a sea level? Yeah. I yeah. think they could. No, no, no. I mean, what I'm saying is the environmental impact. Yeah, like, no, no, It's no. just one of those things. That this is, it wouldn't pass any EPA. Yes, this is one of those things that was just ballsy fucking engineering that could be... It was cowboy engineering that could be done at that time. Yeah, good old American uh, overthrowing governments and taking over reclamation projects that I guess they might have business in. I mean, this obviously I think was a net positive for the world that they did this because Mm -hmm. it does help cut down on so much time spent for getting things. It does, but it's not free. So I mean, no, yeah. And even then it's still just good. And again, again, we didn't do it out of the goodness of our hearts. We did it for a military advantage because we could control this because we did control it for the longest time and we made it have to be the size where our battleships could get through. Yeah. Oh. Military I, and consumables are the two probably biggest drivers yeah. in America. And then they had to also make it to where the hull of an aircraft carrier. So they had to make it to where the hull of an aircraft carrier could get through, but they didn't anticipate the overhang from the flight deck. So there was an aircraft oh, carrier shit. that came through, and I can't remember which one it was, but it came through and literally knocked over every, <laughs> um, every lamppost in concrete on its way up they didn't stop taking it up it just fucking knocked them over and then they were just like fuck it and as they left they're like fuck it deal with it sorry <laughs> they didn't say sorry my bad yeah <laughs> have those fixed when we get back yeah and make sure that this happens right alright well I know this one was shorter but I mean this is just something that was kind of interesting we looked into it and just did a little bit of research like oh there's a lot more to this like 20,000 people, like, died trying to do this on the first run, and the French were like, we give up. What? Does anyone want to buy it? Yeah, to me, it's just kind of one of those things where you can let your mind wander. Like, it's... We've built a lot of pretty crazy things, and kind of talking about, like, when we were talking dumb about when I thought South America was going to float away, like, we cut through a continent. We cut through an entire fucking continent to connect these two oceans. That's, that's never been done. No, that, and that's I like, guess maybe the Suez because the seas led into the yeah, oceans. But even but, then, like, okay, so I get the overconfidence for the guy that was the builder of the Suez that, that stood there and looked at it and was like, I can do this. Bring me my cheese. You American pussies can't do this. Exactly, but the other point, though, is the balls that would, like, the the thought process you would have to have to be, like, you could, because they said you could stand in the middle. There was, like, a mountain in the middle that you could stand on, and you could see one ocean, you could see the other. That's where Balboa was. That's where he got the idea. So, but, like, to be the guy that looked both ways and literally saw a continent, like, do you not, like, and mountains between it was, like, oh, we, yeah, we should do this. We could get this wrapped up pretty quick, I think. Yeah. So, to me, it's just like when you look at it from that standpoint, it's like, oh, like, like oh, but look at it. 50, like, 50 miles of it cuts through, or not 50, look, like, 25 miles cuts through a lake. I'm like, because they made a fucking yep. lake. That was pretty much they all... They had to make the lake. That was all land, pretty much, at one point. <laughs> yeah. I. This is one that just lets your mind wander as far as seeing it, because it's... I mean, I, I I don't really know how to put it into words besides, like, man's done a lot of very 
cool things. We've come to this point. We've evolved from whatever you believe that we evolved from to be what we are today. And we figured out how to manipulate nature enough to where we could cut through an entire continent and separate two continents. Mm -hmm. All because we needed military and consumables. Technically, yes. I mean, we do not continuously, like, of course, under the... Oh, well, can you consider that that because if they rose at 85 feet, then there is some connection there that's underneath, that's still above sea level. Oh, yeah. Well, it's... My point was, like, yeah. if you really think about it, like, we did. We cut the North American and South American, like, apart. We chiseled it mm-hmm. apart. Yeah. Is that one of the things, like, on America's resume? Like, it says here that you actually, like, separated two continents. Yeah. Um, you ever hear about the Panama Canal? I'd, I'd put that on that's, my resume. That's yeah. You're getting hired for any job at that point. All right, man. You got anything else? No, I think we're good. I think Panama's covered. All right. Later, guys. Peace.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe and like button. Follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway, because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like. Um, please follow us on our social media. Adam, hit him with it. Uh, our Instagram is historically high pod, historically high pod, and we are on Twitter at historically high. That's historically hi. All right. And if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's historically high podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again. Peace.